Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, it's kind of an epic introduction, but it's an epic mission. Uh, Man, good morning, church. This is a huge Sunday. I I realize it's a huge Sunday in the life of this church. It's a huge Sunday for me, as Pastor Brian was saying. We've been praying for you. I've actually prayed for you, and I didn't know you, and you didn't know I was praying. And I get to be with you today. I can't even express the privilege that that is to now actually worship our Lord together in the same place. Isn't that a little bit what heaven's going to be like? I mean, we've prayed for this mission I'm convinced those people, Paul, prayed for us that one day we would do this thing. And so we are one day going to be united with all those saints celebrating, worshiping in person, resurrected, and it's going to be amazing. So at least for me, I am experiencing a little glimpse of heaven with you today. And man, that is a great joy to be together in corporate worship, the body gathered together for that. So today, in case you missed it in all the other forms it's been presented to you, we are talking about church planting. I'm the director of church planting for the Great Commission Collective, the other GCC. And uh, if I come visit you, that's what you're going to get is church planting. And so then um, I also have to ask the question, um, have you ever thought about planting a church? Okay. You ever thought about planning a church? Uh, If you've got your Bible, we're going to go to Acts 13 this morning. I'll give you that ahead of time so you can go ahead and turn there. And then I want to tell you, 15 years ago, it's so great that you were coming to this church 15 years ago. 15 years ago, somebody asked me that question. Have you ever thought about planning a church? And do you know what my answer was? It's not, I'm not super spiritual. I didn't grow up with this being like, this is what I'm born for. Are you, have you ever thought about planning a church? My answer was, no. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't really ever stop and wonder where do churches come from. I'd always just gone to one, right? So the question was posed to me, have you ever thought about planting a church? And I will tell you this, I was a a teacher at the time. And so my wife, Julie, and I, we prayed about it. And and the Lord was stirring. We had been studying his word, some of the same passages we're going to look at this morning. And so we said, okay, I don't know what that is, but we'll go, we'll do it. So we jumped in with a team of people who started planting a church in Indianapolis. And I'll just tell you, to to put this into reality and why I can ask you this question with confidence this morning, whether or not you've ever thought about it before today, I went from a teacher who'd never even heard of church planting to being on a church planting team to coming on staff in that church. And then that church sent my wife and I, became a pastor, sent my wife and I down to Tampa, Florida, where we planted another church. And then we handed that church over to elders and another pastor. And now for the last couple of years, I've been working with a whole network of churches, Great Commission Collective, 126 churches in 20 different countries around the world partnered together to plant more churches and to maintain a commitment then to pour into those leaders to strengthen them so that they can grow, lead healthy churches that plant more churches. And so that's my story. That's my background. That's how I got here with you this morning. And I'm sure some of you have a story, too, about how God has brought you to this place. Or maybe you've even heard of, unlike me, you've heard of church planting, you've thought of it, and God is still writing that story. 
And he's writing it in this church right now. And with those of you online, he's writing this story. And so this morning, I thought the best thing we could do to talk about church planting was go back to the beginning of the church planting story. The very first church plant and the beginning of church planting as God's mission in Acts 13. So I'm just going to read to you the, the passage we're going to be in this morning. Acts 13, 1 to 5. Just these few verses, and then this is where we're going to spend our time. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. That is our text this morning. Now, I'm mindful anytime we just like drop into the middle of a story, we need a little bit of context. So let's just talk real quickly about where this church came from. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch. This is where the church at Antioch came from. I'm going to give you just a whirlwind history of church. Okay? It goes back and it begins with a guy. You might be familiar with him. His name is Jesus. Okay? And so Jesus really begins the work of establishing the church. He comes into the world. God, born as a man, comes into the world and begins proclaiming the message to repent and believe in the gospel. So he's calling people to turn from their sin, to turn from disobedience to God, and believe in the truth, the message that he is proclaiming, that by faith, if you believe and turn to him, you can be saved from death and the wrath of God. And that's going to be paid for, we know, by his death and then resurrection. So he begins proclaiming this message and gathering followers, people who love that, right? We love that. You can save me from death. You're going to save me from, from this broken world, and all I have to do is follow you? That's fantastic. So, so then, but then get this, right? This morning, Palm Sunday. Okay, so Jesus gets on a donkey, and it's called the triumphal entry. He rides into Jerusalem like a king. And he's already promised his followers, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so he rides into Jerusalem and his followers are proclaiming this kingdom. He's going to go build his church. And then you guys know what happens, right? This very same week that Jesus rides in to build his church, he dies, crushed, crucified. I can only imagine the moment of being his followers and, and just reeling. Like, I don't get it, right? Okay, but this is where the church is born. Because Jesus wasn't building a human work in that moment. He was building a supernatural work that could only come built upon the resurrection. And so three days later, guys, next Sunday, one week from today, we celebrate the glorious, the most incredible event in all of human history. The glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he meets with his disciples and he gathers them together and he gives them the great commission. 
And a lot of you know it, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you could even recite it with me. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so then he commissions them. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then this beautiful line says, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That was the foundation of the church. And so Jesus ascends into heaven. Those believers are gathered together. The Holy Spirit now comes upon them. Jesus' presence enters their midst, indwells those people, and they go out on the day of Pentecost proclaiming the gospel of salvation for those who would repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in his death, believe in his resurrection, and follow after him. And that, friends, is where the church came from. Very first church, based in Jerusalem. And on that one day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Very, I don't know if you knew this. Very first church was a mega church, right? Jesus establishes the church in Jerusalem. And it's beautiful. And so... They're doing it. If you continue through Acts, Acts 2 is the foundation of the church. Acts 4 begins the work and ministry of the church. They're devoted to the things he said, right? They're baptizing new believers. They're teaching them. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then they're observing all those things together. They're worshiping. They're sharing life. They're faithful. They're following after Christ. So, so they're getting it, right? Acts 4, they're, they're doing it. They're in the mission. Only there's a problem. You see, Jesus said when he commissioned in Acts 1.8, not just that you would do it here. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, the surrounding area, and Samaria beyond that, and to, do you know it, to where? To the ends of the earth. And so while the saints in Jerusalem were being faithful in the mission, God had more in mind for them to be on the mission. He intended to multiply that out beyond just one church, Churches and churches and churches on the same mission together. And so when we see in the story, if you were to study the book of Acts, here's what came up to this point. There's intense persecution comes down on the church. And that persecution drives believers out of Jerusalem. And they're fleeing for their lives. And they gather together, some of them, and they start sharing the gospel. And this community around the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to form in a place called Antioch. And the church in Jerusalem looks at Antioch. This is Acts chapter 11 for reference. And they say, we, they need a pastor. They need somebody to lead them. So they send a man named Barnabas. And Barnabas leaves the church in Jerusalem, first church planter. This is cool. And he goes to plant the church and establish the church in Antioch. And along the way, he grabs this guy. His name is Saul. Turns out he becomes the guy that writes the majority of the letters in the New Testament. We know him as Paul. So he grabs this guy as an associate pastor. This is so cool. I just think about Paul being a, like a, a, an associate pastor in a local church, right? And so now you've got Barnabas and you've got Saul and they're in this church. And this is the church now when the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me these guys and they send them out. This is the Paul who goes on the missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor, throughout the Mediterranean. And he plants church after church after church after church. And that work has continued. And that's how we got here is the work of planting and multiplying the mission. And so the reality is, it isn't just a church that's in the mission making disciples. God's whole view is multiplying 
the mission. And mission multiplication, this is our main idea today, mission multiplication happens when churches plant churches. Faithful churches in the mission, making disciples, starting more churches, making disciples in other places. Friends, that is God's picture of the mission on the earth. And that's where we are today. So where do churches come from? Uh, Contrary to what a lot of people experience, it's not denominational or doctrinal splits. God's design for the mission is churches sending people out to multiply the church. That's how we got here. And friends, I'm, I'm convinced, absolutely convinced. What God has called me into 15 years of my life and everything that I'm devoted to now, I'm convinced that's how we are to continue this mission. And the beauty of our passage here today, Acts 13, is that this text is giving us an incredible precedent for how that looks and what it means to be a mission-multiplying church. So let's look at this church a little bit together. We want to learn from this pattern today. This is where God founded it. So let's take some notes from it this morning. First, let's look at who these people were. Now, there were in that church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So realistically, these are, these are the pastors. These are the the men gifted by God to lead the church. And so there they were. And it even gives us a list of who they were. Barnabas, we know, Jewish background, came out of Jerusalem. A man named Simeon, who they called Niger. He was African. Okay, and along with him was another man, Lucius of Cyrene, also African. A guy named Menaean, who it says was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is so cool. You've got a Jewish guy out of Jerusalem. You've got two African immigrants. You've got this guy named Menaean who grew up, was like best childhood friends with Herod the Tetrarch, the Roman-appointed ruler for the area. So you've got this social elite. You've got this crazy mix of people. And then you've got Saul, who we know was, uh, he was formerly among the, the the Pharisees, he was trained to be this Jewish elite. And then Jesus meets him on the road, crushes him, converts him. Saul believes, he puts his faith in Christ, goes back to his Greek name, Paul, and then begins to live and serve Jesus. So you've got this mix of guys, really cool. Very diverse church, by the way, like mini picture of heaven already right here. Whoever would come, people believing the gospel, God gifting them to serve. And so that's who they were. Preachers and teachers, and here's what they were doing. Verse 2 starts out, says, while they were worshiping the Lord. I just want to pause right there on that word worshiping. Um, I don't expect any of you in this room are Greek scholars. I struggle with the whole language thing, but I did study, so you don't have to. That word worshiping in the Greek language, the original language this was written in, is the word leturgeo. And it literally means to serve or perform a duty unto. So when it says they were worshiping the Lord, it means they were performing service or ministry or duty unto. The the closest thing I can think of that that equates so we could understand the context is when we talk about military service, if you've ever served in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, National Guard, if you've ever served, you're actually performing a duty unto the nation, right? You cease to be a civilian And you become a servant, a soldier, who's fulfilling a duty to minister unto or to serve unto your country. By the way, if that is you, I just want to say thank you as having been blessed by your service to our country. But the picture here is these men were a different kind of non-civilian. 
They had been called out from among people and gifted to teach. And they were serving or performing a duty of leading unto the church. So when it says they were worshiping the Lord, that's probably, I'm sure, included like a Sunday morning like this. They were praising, they were singing, they were, but it's more than that. They were fulfilling the ministry Christ had called them to and said, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, make disciples. And so that's what they were doing. But it wasn't, notice, unto the people. They were ministering and serving unto Jesus, the Lord, their master. So Jesus is the object of who they are serving. They're serving him by doing this ministry. And so that's the context. Really, here it is. If we just back up, here's what's happening here. There's a group of people, okay, in the church who are defined by their gifts and roles that have been imparted to them by Jesus himself. And they're pouring themselves into the church to serve God. So here would be our number one observation on a mission-multiplying church. What is it to be a mission-multiplying church? If you're taking notes, I would say it's this. It takes serving Christ like it's what you were meant for. Where did the church planting church come from? They were faithful to serve Christ with what they'd been gifted to do, to make disciples. Listen, I'll be honest. There's a lot of strategy that goes into church planting. That's most of my job is helping give churches the strategy to plant. But that isn't where it begins. I can't just come into a church and be like, oh, do A, B, C, D, E. You'll be fine. Plant a church. It doesn't begin there. It begins like this. It begins, before being known as church planters, Saul, Paul, was known as an associate pastor, a preacher and teacher in a local church, making disciples in their local church, teaching and growing in the local church. Church planting begins here, doing this, doing what you do here. Friends, is that you in this church, here just being faithful I went back and I listened to Pastor Brian's message from last week. And if you've heard it, the, the being here to be a disciple, to grow as a disciple, to make disciples, the discipleship pathway of this church. Friends, if that's you and you're plugged in here, you already have the foundation of being a mission multiplying church. And all I could do then is exhort you to continue. Because the reality is Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4 and the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12. And he says... Everyone who is in Christ Jesus has been gifted with something supernatural to serve the church. And may we be known by that gift and our faithfulness as these men were known for theirs. That's what we know. This is the only time some of these guys are even referred to. But they're referred to by what they did in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so when we serve him like we're living for his mission, when we give ourselves over to this worshiping the Lord, that's what we're consumed with and doing. That's the church he uses to multiply his mission around the world. So if you're part of that, you're part of that kind of church here. So keep doing what you're doing. But then, see, something more takes place. Let's look at it. If we continue to go on in verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. We're going to see that word again in a moment. Even after the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart Saul and Barnabas, then they fasted and prayed again. So listen, this is right here. This is the hinge between being a church in the mission, being a disciple, making disciples. That's, this is the hinge between that and 
becoming a multiplying church of the mission. And it's fasting. Now, I would say this. Okay, listen. If you ask me, Christian, how do we become a church planting church? I will be honest and tell you my number one thing would probably not be, I got it, guys, stop eating. That's how to become a church planting church. I would probably rattle off a list of practical things to do. Go share the gospel with a bunch of people, raise up a pastor, send him out. But the reality is they were faithful, and their next step was stop eating. Okay? Let's try to put the pieces together on that. That's what they did. It says they were serving the Lord and fasting. It's really important to notice. Here's what we're witnessing in this passage. They aren't just doing the mission in their context. They aren't just preaching the words that Jesus taught and ministering to people and training them. They're not just doing it. See, they realize they have been called to a supernatural mission. You know what that means, right? Supernatural is beyond the natural. It transcends and is outside of. You and I have been called to a supernatural mission. What that means is when Jesus says, go make disciples, you realize not a single one of us in here can change a single other person's heart. And yet we've been called to do that. And so they realize they've been called to something that is way beyond their ability. And not only is it beyond their ability, it's way far from being finished. Friends, we have churches all over the world, and yet we are far from seeing the mission finished in that sense. And so what they're looking at is they're saying, okay, we're not just doing this, but we are in desperate need of the power to do it and the scope of fulfilling more and more and more. In fact, they're calling out to the Jesus who said, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so they're saying if we have a mission to do and we can't do it and it's not getting done apart from him, then we are desperate. That's the word. Desperate to depend on him for it. And so these guys knew that to do what Jesus has commissioned requires Jesus in it. The second thing about being a mission-multiplying church, this is where it hinges, is to seek Christ like everything depends on it. Continue serving. But begin or, or continue if you already are seeking like everything depends. They are so dialed into how desperately they need Jesus to direct them and empower them that even when the Holy Spirit moves and tells them what to do, they continue to seek him for clarity. They continue this praying and fasting. Let's just talk about fasting for a second. Because I don't know if many of you in the room practice this real often, but I've already made you super uncomfortable twice today. I've invited you to become a church planner. And now I'm proposing that you spend more time fasting. Let's just talk about that. So Don Whitney, a seminary professor, theologian, and author, has a great book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And in there, he discusses fasting, has lots of uh, particular reasons a person might choose to fast. But they really all come down to one main purpose. There's, there's one purpose, and this is what he says, the purpose of fasting for the Christian. Not dieting, by the way. Right? That's a big thing now is intermittent fasting. I'm just going to assure you, Don Whitney, and that's not what they were doing here, okay? Uh, it wasn't for their health. It was their desperation for the Lord because this is the definition that I'm working off of. It says, fasting is for a heightened awareness of and pursuit of God. What is fasting for in the life of a Christian? A heightened awareness of and pursuit of God. 
And so we can fast from other things, not just food, for the same purpose, right? Anything that's a distraction or a, a, a source of comfort, we could give that thing up so that we might become more aware, more focused on God, and more connected with Him, and pursue Him more intently, right? So you can, you can fast from social media. It's a thing that people do periodically. You can fast from... Uh, technology. I'm not going to watch my TV. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to take these things that are comforts or distractions. I'm going to disengage so I can focus on the Lord. Right. Um, except in Scripture, fasting always means food, or food and water. Right. So there's something really unique about food. Here's what it is. Uh, you could you could give up your technology for a period. You could give up your cup of coffee or your Starbucks or whatever it is. You could give up your social media for a period and you won't die. Let me say that again. Let it sink in. You could give up all those things and you won't die. The food, on the other hand, we actually require to stay alive. There's something really intense about giving up that which sustains our very life for the purpose of, remember our purpose is a greater awareness of and pursuit of God. It literally says to fast from food or to fast from food and water says, I need nothing right now more than I need God for this. And that's a powerful thing to embrace is to say like they said, it's just part of their worship. They say, we're going to worship, we're going to serve, we're going to go after this mission that God's called us to, but we can't do it apart from Him, and there's more to be fulfilled than we can get done. And so besides just doing the mission, we're going to seek God even more importantly than filling ourselves with food. I don't know if you ever thought about food as a distraction, but it is the ultimate comfort. I'm hungry, and I satisfy it by eating. And they're literally saying, I have a greater hunger. We need more of God. Friends, this is the switch that flips a church from being in the mission in its local context to becoming a mission-multiplying church, fulfilling what they're called to, even beyond their context, by multiplying churches. It's in this place where God meets with them. We're here making disciples. We're doing this thing, but it's not enough. We, want, we need more of you, and God shows up. What does he say? The Holy Spirit says in that context, He speaks to them and he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. There's a really cool picture. He talked about transitioning to eldership, this faithful pursuit. I just want to just point out, because this is really cool. I might sneak in an extra point for you this morning. This isn't in your notes, but if you're going through and you're serving and you're seeking, then you're sensing when the Holy Spirit moves. And and this isn't some super subjective thing. I've heard a lot of believers get into this like, well, the Holy Spirit told me. And just so we're clear, in this context, because the Holy Spirit moves in mysterious ways, but this isn't that mysterious. The Holy Spirit stirs among his people being faithful and seeking him and unites their hearts toward a common purpose. That's what it means when the Holy Spirit said to them. The Holy Spirit lays upon them this urgent need to send these guys out. And just so we're clear... They don't, on just a whim, act on the Holy Spirit. What does it say that they do? It says, then after fasting and praying, 
the plurality of leaders in the church continue then together in prayer and fasting to confirm before God that the Holy Spirit has in fact charged them for this work. Guys, that's a cool thing that happens among the church when people feel burdened by the Spirit for something and then call the elders in the church together to confirm this. It also means there just aren't a whole bunch of independent agent Christians out there doing their own thing. They come out of a church where they're serving and seeking and sensing when the Spirit moves, and then they respond. Third thing about being a mission-multiplying church, you send and go in fulfillment of God's own work on the earth. This is what they did. They were serving. They were seeking. They sensed the Spirit moving. And in response to saying, set apart for me these guys for the work, they sent them out. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them out. Nothing mysterious or mystical about that here. They actually just put their hands on them, prayed over them, and commissioned them for the work. So cool when you stop and think about it. Jesus commissions his apostles for the work. They commission Barnabas to go to Antioch. The church at Antioch calls up Barnabas and Saul, puts their hands on them, commissions them to go out and continue the mission. And, and, and I mean, realistically, th- these aren't like, I just stop it. This isn't like the B team. This is like their senior pastor and their, I'm not saying. But when the Holy Spirit stirs, it says, send out these guys. I've set, I've called them. They're set apart. And here's what they were set apart for. We know this when, when Paul was converted. Jesus told him that he was set apart to take the gospel message of salvation and repentance, of freedom from death and wrath, of unity with God and peace forever, to take that message to the nations. And so the Holy Spirit simply says, set them apart. I I want them to go out and plant more churches. And they did. And the whole rest of the story to today is built on that act of a serving church seeking, sensing, and sending. And not just sending, but also going. The mission of Jesus involves sending and going to the ends of the earth. In fact, Paul writes to the Romans, how will they hear? If no one preaches, but how will they preach if they are not sent to go? And and I think contrary to some of our conception in the church, this isn't just sending out of a lone missionary to some far off place. This was a sending off of a team of people. This was Paul and Barnabas. So you've got a senior pastor, an associate pastor, but then it says at the end of the text, so, so they went, right? They went and they did the thing. They left there. They were faithful. They proclaimed the word of God. That's the gospel message. And it says at the very end of that text, they had John to assist them. So we have church leaders. We have all kinds of, we have helpers. They're going out together, working together in fulfillment of the mission. And what you see, the pattern throughout the rest of Acts, if we had time to study the whole thing, is Paul goes proclaims, gathers, establishes, he equips planters to pastor those churches, and then he continues. Paul's actually building a whole network of churches and planters that continue to work together for the spread of the gospel and the mission. And those churches, we see them partner financially, and they partner, they share people. It's cool. 
And people go between the churches and minister among them. And then Paul, you've got these experts who then grow in this and, and they begin to help foster that mission as it goes and help support and equip churches to multiply and grow in strength. Guys, that's where our conviction for Great Commission Collective is rooted, is in this text and the resulting work God did to multiply the mission. And our earnest hope and desire is may we be a network that helps partner with churches to see planters raised up, to see churches serve, seek, discern where God moves, and then send people out to plant. And so the mission, guys, the mission didn't start with a network. The mission starts with faithful churches who are serving Christ and then seeking him. You're here baptizing and teaching. I know we were just talking about somebody who was baptized recently. Baptizing, teaching, serving, seeking, and then it multiplies when churches just like yours seek God for more and then respond by sending people out. So we'll go back to like, who? Who gets sent out? I don't know. It might be you. Probably is. Right? Don't look around like, oh, probably him. Maybe it's you. And it doesn't mean you have to be the pastor. That's not what happened here. Maybe you're John to assist. But the reality is, are we seeking for that? Do do we realize that this is, this church, this is the substance of all we've been redeemed to. Having been dead people, made alive in Jesus, and now living unto him and gifted for his purpose, the work we do here in this goes on for eternity. And so the call then is this. Some as leaders, some as helpers might be you. Hey, I got a question. Have you ever thought about planning a church? And, and again, I, the answer for me was no. And step by step, God drew me into this. He taught me this very pri- this principle. And now I have the privilege of equipping other churches to grow in that. I really just want to point out one more thing to you. I think one of the coolest things about this whole passage is something real small that would be easy to overlook. But, but look at this. At the end of verse 3, here's what happens. They're fasting and praying. The church gathers around, they lay their hands on them, and they sent, they sent them off, right? Church, people just like you and me, put their hands on Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them out. Look at the beginning of verse 4. So being sent out by, it doesn't say the church, it inserts another entity. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. This blows my mind. Guys, when we're faithful to do this, when we serve, when we seek, and then when we're willing to send in response to God's movement, when we do it like this, we're the church doing God's own work on the earth. Like what we do gets credited to him. I can just say this, guys. When that happens, when we fulfill God's own work through this pattern, there is no greater calling And there is no greater privilege than to be the church that sends or to be the people that go. What a tremendous gift. Thank you for letting me bring that word to you. I just want to close by praying again as we've been praying for you to continue praying even now for you. And invite the worship team to come up when I do. But that we would just pray and seek together. We would seek the Lord. Father, we are thankful that the message 
of reconciliation with you, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been imparted to us, that you have opened our eyes and our hearts by faith and that we have received mercy in him. That is a privilege. And God, if there be anyone in this room this morning who has not embraced that call, has not responded, Father, would you stir in their heart, their eyes would be open to see that this is the real picture of what's going on in the world. But God, those of us who are here, who are in that, who are serving, God, we want more of the mission. We can't do it apart from you. And there's so much more than we can get done in a lifetime. Would you help us to be mission-multiplying people? Would your spirit stir? And God, you know, and I hope people in the room know, I'm not here to coerce them into something. But would their hearts be turned to seek you? And would your spirit actually move, prompt them toward the opportunities and the faithfulness that you would ordain, those whom you have set apart? A supernatural work credited to you, not something, man, we, we put our hands on so many human things in a day, God, this is not a human work. And so would you stir? Would you make it a supernatural work? Would you multiply your mission through us? Would we see many saved and many churches planted to your glory? That one day, God, having even prayed this now, we would stand with many saints in heaven and rejoice. We prayed for you. We sought after you. We responded in faith for Christ unto you. And may that be the resonant joy and worship of eternity with you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this. Lead us in it. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.